<laughs> a lot of hiking and a lot of weight loss. So we are recording. Oh, cool. Uh, Already. <laughs> yes. This is going to be the second segment of the Emerson Monkeries Chronicles. Um, I'm really excited to be doing this one. It's the end of our target season, pretty much. We almost just got done with uh, the Outlaws in Oregon. And uh, all we have left basically now is the 1 million BC shoot and then State 900. State 900. Yep. Which kind of yep. is in the middle of our hunting season, so. Right. It's only like the people that are really into Target that are going to be doing these last two. Oh, everyone will do the BC shoot in Pacifica. It's yeah. really the 900. For sure. That's going to have like checkered uh, attendance. Usually some some shooters come out for that. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, maybe that statement I said hey, wasn't true. We're going to be there. Are you shooting it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Rudy, are you shooting the 900? Yes, I uh yeah i'm probably gonna do it for sure yeah yeah i mean if it, it's it's a it's a morning or an afternoon of my time mm-hmm. uh to go to one of the local clubs and shoot it so why not yeah yeah you know so it's it's a good um it's a good event i mean it, really it doesn't take event. a whole lot of preparation for it. i mean we've been shooting no. the entire the entire year season at this point yeah we're winding down it's one distance well three distances mm-hmm Flat level ground. We should explain it. Yellow dot. It's is it thirty six shots at sixty, and then thirty six at fifty, and thirty six at forty. No, it's it's a six arrow. It's it's six arrows. Yeah, six ends. Five. Five ends. It's a nine hundred. Five ends. It's so thirty. Five ends of thirty. I should ask you. Five ends of thirty. <laughs> wow, that just sounded really bad. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> okay, well. Um, so the last episode went really well, and we had some feedback from people. And uh, one, of, one of the big things that people wanted to know more about was uh, defining the front end. The strong front end. Strong front end and what we mean by that. Because I think we all have um, very, uh, well, we all have different explanations on what the front end means to us, but the concepts are all the same. I would basic disagree concepts. a little bit with that. I think... I think we approach a strong front end a little bit different. I know that at least compared to Wendell, you know, Wendell has a much more dynamic front end starting a little bit, a little bit bent and you can explain yours. Uh-huh. Um, but compared to mine, mine is, I, I try and start with a relatively you know, straight, straight, on. straight bone on bone, uh-huh. um, sort of relaxed and straight. I would describe your shot as, a relatively straight arm that you drive from the shoulder forward. The and last person I coached, yes. that's what I told him how you shoot. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. It's it's relaxed. It's straight. Um, it's I definitely I think relaxing the front hand, the bow hand, also plays a part in how those muscles in the arm relax mm-hmm. so um so that when you're engaging that front arm i have you know you're still engaging some arm muscle but your tricep yeah yeah and but it's it's a lot of relaxing everything else and um and yeah driving from the shoulder would you say your the muscles in your forearm are relatively relaxed 
I think so. <laughs> if you were gonna, if you were gonna, I don't want to say coach, but if you were gonna tell someone like how to do your shot, at least from the front end, how would you describe it from the point of gripping your bow onwards? Hmm. Okay. Well, um, I grip the bow. Straighten out my arm before I raise everything as a unit. Um, I'm drawing back, anchoring up, and as I'm doing all of that, it's sort of relaxing and setting my front shoulder, which is um, down and a little bit forwards, but not out of the socket. It's not... Uh It's not an extension or a reach. It's just a engagement. Uh-huh. Um, it's just getting it, getting that shoulder under control. Yeah. Are you? Uh, and and it's sort of engaging a certain muscle set, bringing it somewhat. So it's not completely locked down and back. It mm-hmm. needs to be forwards a little bit because if it's down and back, it, it tends to get weak and. It just need the the position. It just needs to stay in in a neutral position. Yeah, and it's, and to keep it in that position, it requires a, a little bit of activation of the shoulder muscles. To yeah, keep it and in that's right. Down position. and forward. Down and a little bit forward. Uh-huh. If you, not forward, as in you're starting your shot. It's just down forward to prime you for right. But but it's not it's not forward so much as you don't want to you don't want to set it up so that. It's completely muscle. That's that's your kind of base. I'm gonna um, kind of call that preloading. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it's it's uh, absolutely yeah. Because I yeah. think uh, you and I do that. This, I mean, obviously we're different, but I yeah, we both, similarly, we both strive to 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 mean to have that in every shot. Yeah, and so with with my shot, I'm sort of setting all that up, and kind of. Starting the, you know, I, I set up that front end and then I set up the alignment in the back end and I I start the engagement of the shot with the front end, kind of setting it on its way um, to continue increasing in power. And then I'm, I kind of shift my focus to the back end. And so I kind of set set up the front end so that I know that it's kind of there and having a slight increase in power as the shot goes. And then the main power of the shot for me is in the back end. It's like you deploy your front your yeah. front end and then yeah. you start your process on the rear side. Yeah. Um when you're when you're first setting your shoulder, I always like to use the analogy of the RPM gauge. Mm-hmm. Um is that where is that needle on the RPM gauge when you're just setting and drawing your bow back to get into anchor? Is that still pretty low, close to zero? No. As far as your engagement? <clears throat> I think, um, you know, I think l- looking at any really good performance that I've had, it's been a, a strong day of front end. Uh-huh. You know, I... I can't I can't think of any performance that I've had that didn't include strong front end mm-hmm. and 
RPM wise, you know, setting it up might be middling to low, but it's sort of setting it up so that it is slowly increasing. And so once the actual engagement of the shot continue, like it starts and engages, then it's, then it, um, kind of ramps up, but not as, not as much as the back end will ramp up. It's ramping up to kind of take up the power of the So it's almost like you have end. two RPM gauges, one could say. Right. Where you have your first, which is ramping up and deploying gradually. Yes. And then your focus switches to the back, which I would imagine is also gradual yes. and controlled. Yes. Yes. But um, but that's the back end is kind of what drives it. And that setting up that front end so that it is increasing really is just is just so that you don't backtrack on yeah. that front end because when, once you start backtracking then it's at least for me that is all bad it's time to let down yeah when you say the back end drives it can you explain um i just i just have more power in the back end and i'm my mind is focused on the back end that's gotcha so i i think i think what it, to be a little more specific about that, mm -hmm. what how most people shoot or when they get lazy or they get tired, a lot of people are lifting the bow with their shoulders. You see a right. lot of people just grabbing their bow and then picking it up versus right. what Emerson is describing there is by by giving it a, some engagement, by, by, by giving, by setting that front end or preloading, and the back muscles are, are keeping the system together, it, it allows you to lift up your arms and maintain your neutral shoulders right. while, you're, while you're lifting the bow. And that gives you a lot more control because then you're not just lifting this, you know, right. nine pound object and then expecting your shoulders to reset right. when, when you start pulling the bow. And Long term, that could lead to lots of injury and trouble with your shoulders. Yeah, and I think, I think in general, with the shot, that is a great way to think about it. Having that power in that kind of lateral in line with the arrow, you know, the power stroke needs to happen in line with that arrow linearly, at, linearly, as opposed to that kind of vertical holding the bow up. Mm -hmm. I would agree a hundred percent. And although my shooting style is different than yours, it also relies on that linear right. drive. Yeah. You know? So why don't you explain what, what you, what, you approach what, it, what is, let me ask this. What do you mean by like, by linear? Are you talking about how the bow is moving towards I'm the target? I'm talking about when you're aiming your bow at the target, you you want your power to be in line with the arrow driving through okay. that target. Right. You Got don't it. want that power being fighting to keep the pin where you want it, or right. fighting to you know. Yeah. Fighting. So hold essential, the bow. Up. Essentially, hold the bow. essentially, the elbow is like maintain is behind the arrow line. Yes. Through, yes. through the entire. Well, the through, elbow through doesn't need to be, but the power needs to be. Right. Like hundred percent. But I'm, what I'm saying is that that you're you're somewhere in the ballpark, meaning yeah. you're not in this, if the elbow is too far right of the target, you're in this collapsed position. But and, it, and yes, then if but if you, if you look at Schlosser shoot, his elbow is way out there, but you look at his follow through and it's right in line with the arrow. I would say 
that that is how my I don't want to compare myself to yeah. a great like Schlosser by any means, but I am also very collapsed on my right on my rear end. Uh, right. You know, the rear my release hand. Right. But I also drive linearly yes. towards the target. And your, with and my your follow arm. through is in line. Mm-hmm. See, for your body type and like you're you're very much like you're very muscular. I thank you, dude. Yeah. So like, well, I mean, you're you're really strong in your oh, upper body. I very so, much am. So that <laughs> shot that shot works really good for you. But if you look 4% at four percent body fat, <laughs> but if you look at guys that are not as strong as you or have your build, they need to have a little bit more angular right. angular motion when they're setting. I up. mean, I kind of yeah. think because if you look because because look at look at like some of you know. Let's say pick Stefan Hansen. Stefan Hansen is a perfect example. Right, he's that. bones with a bow. <laughs> basically, <laughs> and the dude, the dude, you look at his alignment. I don't know, man. It's very different. <laughs> he is. He's like maybe 110 pounds, you know? He's a small dude. I mean, but he yeah, holds a lot of weight. Yeah. But Schlosser. He's a strong little dude. Though. We can honestly yeah, say, Schlosser, like, no offense, dude, you're not muscular. Not like this body. But, <laughs> like, like Schlosser is this ball of muscle like you. Like, his build is very similar to He's a to ball. Yours. I wouldn't say a ball of muscle. Oh All right. I've done a lot of bench pressing and deadlifting. All right. All I'm right. sure you to have. To round okay. up this physique. But, to get, to anyway, get back, let's, get back to, let's get back to business. All right. Basically, Emerson, you, you kind of alluded to my shot. Yes. Because um, you kind By of, directly asking you. <laughs> yeah. By directly asking. <laughs> and, and, um, I would just, you know, the RPM gauge for me is kind of at like 500, very low on my initial setup. Um, I kind of do that faux sky draw thing where I bring the bow up and then draw mm-hmm. back. And that kind of resonates in my mind with what you were saying about setting your shoulders and everything in line versus mm-hmm. drawing, you know, or just bringing the bow up and drawing. Right. You know, I'm kind of setting onto the target and then. I leave a slight bend in my arm and is where Emerson relaxes everything, you know, forward of his elbow. Um, I have like very slight forearm muscle engagement, a lot of tricep and a lot of shoulder mm-hmm. that drives forward. I try to relax my hand because that's how you taught me to shoot is with a relaxed front hand. Um, and then on, you know, I, my, my release hand is rather stationary. It's slightly relaxing. Uh, my fingers slightly relax while the center of my hand stays tense and frozen. Mm-hmm. And then I try to pull the bow apart, like the old style of trying to pull the bow apart, yeah, yeah. but linearly and then driving forward. And I find that it's like forgiving and, you know, it's, it's forgiving and it's, uh, it's, yeah. and that front end drives your shot. It, it kind of dictates yes. your shot. Yeah. Uh, that's the yeah. downside with my shooting style is when my front end isn't there or if it is not 100%, I will get, you know, arrows are not as forgiving. They don't land exactly where that pin was when I broke the shot. Mm-hmm. So I have to shoot that if, you know, that being my style, I have to put a lot of arrows in to hardwire that into my, you know, my brain, basically. Right. We like to ask about Rudy's shot because Rudy had talked about also preloading. Yeah, and you've got shoulder. a very straight front arm as well yeah i when i when i'm raising the bow i i'm very much actively trying to keep a neutral shoulder and typically when my shot goes south it's because i've neglected keeping keeping that that front that shoulder 
in place. Like mm-hmm. down and forward or down down and forward. Um but but what's real critical for me is like the the last few seconds before I come to my anchor point. Like that's where I'm really I for me the the elbow to arrow is a good a a good uh kind of uh even though I'm not looking at my elbow, my mm-hmm. my my draw hand elbow you know, I'm visualizing it staying behind the arrow. Yeah. And by behind the arrow, my front grip is very relaxed mm-hmm. when, when I'm holding the bow. So, so the, the bow kind of pivots in my hand slightly. Mm-hmm. Meaning when I put, when I hook my release onto the, the, or onto the string, right. When I, and I put a little bit of pressure, the bow, the bow will kind of point slightly to the left of the target. Like it's just sort of, uh-huh. Kind of floating a little bit to the left, so that it stays behind the arrow line. So, so even though my hand is moving straight up, and I and I and I stay behind, and, and I'm pulling that bow, and my elbow stays behind that arrow, as I come to that anchor point, it starts to straighten itself out. Like it starts to angularly move into settle into the target. Right. You're not putting any influence on that on your riser with your hand. No. It is your. It is literally sitting on bone. And pivoting. Yeah, I mean, imagine imagine alignment. if you took a coat hanger and mm-hmm. and you put it in in the palm or of you your it. hand, and and then and then you put like a string, and then you move that string, or sorry, if you and then you just grab the back end of the hanger, and then you can move it like right. this. I'm not moving the hand, but it can move slightly within within because if you're bracing the bow perfectly in into your that like pressure point, like right here. Yeah. It, 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 should, it it's it's gonna move a little pe- bit. People that are listening don't know what right here is, but it would be in the like you in know, the palm of your hand, like just you know towards in, the thumb. Yeah, in the fat of the base of your th- yeah. thumb. Not side. going past the lifeline in your hand, like right. just right up against that edge. So the way you hold your bow would be like, God forbid, you had an accident and had a hook for a, a hand. That hook would be very minimal influence on that right imagine imagine the hooter shooter it's got like you know Uh just that little fork i mean that's essentially what it's like but it's not not to confuse people it's not the web of my hand i'm not high wristing it it's just right right in there and so and so for me that's how that's how i'm able to like keep that that linear that linear um alignment alignment so but but how i move my upper body is a little bit more angular because for, for me to properly get my back muscles engaged mm-hmm. and, and really get that shoulder and, and get that last bit of high energy in my back, it, the bow needs to be able to pivot in my front hand so I can actually give give it that little bit of extra right here as I continue to load my back. And that's how I really he get into it. to his it. front arm. It, I'm, I'm pointing to my, my, yeah, my triceps, you know, just, yeah. just that, that last bit of energy there. So... That's how I, I kind of approach my shot. And that part right there towards the end is the most critical point for me. Right, yeah. And I think, keep I that, think that, that slight engagement with the triceps is something I've been paying attention to lately and really, really helps. If I, if I am having trouble with my shot, specifically my front end, feeling that real slight engagement in that tricep well, you um, saved my butt in Oregon when we were talking about that that night we were having dinner, where where you were talking, you and Wendell were talking about how you you, you said that you call it the twenty percent. Yes. You give it that little extra 
like bit of just that little bit of extra, you know, amount yeah. of energy. I, I'm going to try to refrain from saying push, right? But just a little engagement. bit engagement there, because the second day that we were shooting, um, you know, I, I don't know if it was cam timing or what, but just something didn't feel 100 percent in my right in my cams, and so on the on the prevail. By building up that extra, that just that little extra energy, yeah, you know, I, I felt like I shot really great the second day. So, yeah, have we talked about the twenty percent? We have not talked about that, but you know, we should probably talk about that because right, that's, it saved my that's it, it saved my right hiney. Just yeah. you guys want the secret to archery? This is the Emerson patented. <laughs> well, let, let me let me preface, let me preface this a hundred percent of the time. That's <laughs> this is like this is like the the gold. This is this is really good info. I, but anyways, I was really grateful because it's something that I do do, but I never gave it a name. Right. And and you you just used talking about it in my head. I go, well, now I know what well, to call it. Yeah, it defines it for you. Yeah, and then it made that so powerful because words are so powerful. And, right. And you know, the next day I was like, oh, I'll give it all twenty percent. And then we even. I looked over here and I went in the middle and I'm like, is that 20%? I mean, is that 20%? <laughs> right. So, the, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. The 20% is um, when I was first starting out with the Outlaws, I my first couple of shoot offs, um, you know, super nervous, obviously. I still get super nervous during shoot offs. Um, and what what I I would just pay attention to what happened during the shoot off, and almost every time it's I'm trying to relax because I'm so ner nervous that I relax into a weak place and I over aim it and then break it low right and just do a real weak shot, and so to combat that, anytime I'm in a shoot off. I usually, if I'm being smart about it, I will think about just adding 20% power to the shot and that that combats the, you know, your brain is complete fuzz if you're super nervous and you can't, you can't tell the, you know, you don't have as much awareness of what your muscles are doing. So adding 20% just kind of ensures a strong shot for me. It at least gives you, it at very least gives you a direction. Yeah, and to go in. and so you can also apply that to just the range. Uh huh. Would you say um, that it gives you like, like when you were in the shoot off situation and you were under that pressure? It's almost like you had noodle arms. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, and it's just you get that, you just get that complete white noise brain that can't really just just all it can do is stand there and shoot an arrow and uh and a lot of times it doesn't it, you know we experienced that in in yankton oh yeah in eliminations because we had to do an elimination rounds in yankton and mm -hmm. we were both i mean i'm always nervous but it's the first time i got to be nervous with someone else and we got to talk about it mm -hmm. and notice how like, yeah, because we were both in elimination. So, uh -huh. yep. And Rudy ended yeah. up placing, uh, getting gold in his flight. And I it got was... third in my flight. But we both got to talk about how our our form started to collapse 
because we were just trying to shoot a regular shot the best we could right. and didn't give it extra to right. fall back on. I mean, right. We went the day after the day, the, or not the day after, but uh, like after that, that uh, the eliminations, Wendell and I went and oh, found this. Same day. Same day. Yeah, the same day we went and found this. Uh, found another archery, archery range. range in in South Dakota in, in a in a public park, and like our sights were way off of where our normal marks were. And we ended up like because we right. we were our adjusting our sights to accommodate for weaker shooting. Right. And then when we went back, when we found this other range, we were like, what what were we doing? And we realized, well, we're nervous. We're collapsing in our in, in our shot. Yeah. We described even even not just shoot offs, but like a good day of shooting. We had yeah. talked about it as like back to the I'm gonna use the RPM gauge all the time because it's something people can visualize, but feathering that RPM gauge uh, mm-hmm. if your normal shot is at two thousand RPM, where you break at two thousand, you're feathering that RPM gauge between two and three and a half. Or you know, if you're if you break at three thousand, you're feathering it between three and four and a half. You're giving it right. that little extra mm-hmm. and it and it's not going you're not going to six thousand, you're not going to eight thousand, you're not trying to right. destroy your transmission. You're you're just giving it that little extra. Right. So when you take your foot off the gas, you're still above right. that RPM that you and, break it. And in those situations, you just don't have a clear sense of where you are in that RPM right. gauge. All that white noise yeah. is taking it, up is taking up your focus. So. And it's tough. And it's tough for in that particular format because uh, it's basically like Vegas. You're indoors shooting at 60 yards. And uh, you're talking about Yankton? Yankton, yeah. Uh-huh. And it's like like I found it like in that environment that that came out. But what's crazy about that type of shooting is that it's very much like rhythm based. Like you, you get yeah. into like a shooting rhythm and it's like rather, and in, and in that, that situation, as I started to see my shots start to drift, we just kept moving the site. Mm-hmm. But in a, in, a, in a safari round or in a field round, you have to shoot two arrows, walk, reset. You don't have that that luxury and I feel like right, getting into a rhythm yeah and I feel like you know right we were able to stay on top of like we, we knew something was wrong you know like the arrows weren't hitting behind the pin so we'd just adjust as we went right but if I, I I wish I mean in hindsight obviously right if you could go back but like yeah I think if if I would have been able to define that that piece I think it would have been very different right you know I just came out and and in my and my in my shoot off, I just awesome. happened to Thank be you. the one that got the luckiest and won that that day. But because everyone else was probably just as nervous as I was. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, um, that what so with that twenty percent though, you were saying a little bit it was just a little bit more energy. Um, you use the RPM analogy. Could you, could Emerson, could you be a little bit more specific on how, like, how, how you explain it? Like, is it a feeling when, that you have in the cam? Are you saying the, the extra engagement? The extra engagement. Like, how do you know that you're not going too, too far or, well, or not enough? Like, that's kind of, it's become an issue with my Matthews bow. With, with my, with my Hoyt, I, I definitely felt like I could, go 
extra, extra hard in the shot and still have it, you know, go center. When I go extra, extra hard on the Matthews, things dip low. So I don't know if it's how I have it tuned or what, but I have to be careful not to give it 40% extra and not 20% extra because stuff goes bad. But generally it's, it's hard to explain. It's just, you know, you, you feel, you feel what, you know, you're, you're back at full draw and you're feeling your normal shot and you're just adding a little bit. That's, yeah. I mean, that's, and you're not, so you're not you using can, any feedback from the bow to kind of give you any, from the yeah. bow. No, it's, it's the, it's the feel of, you know, how hard are you into the wall? It's, um, as I'm drawing the bow, um, before I even set my anchor, I'm feeling how much energy I have into, into that bow, into the back wall of the bow. So I draw, I, I hit the wall and I feel where I'm at before I even bring my hand in and set it on my face. So would you say, you know, when you set up your shot and your shoulder is low and forward, would you say that is the beginning of that extra 20% or would you say it comes after that? Because in my mind, I mean, I don't want to influence whatever your answer is mm. going to be, but in my mind, when I am feathering that 20%, yeah, it starts with the front arm and that's where that, it, you feel it in the, the release hand as well. Yeah. But that release hand directly is influenced by how much pressure you're putting in that front arm. Yeah, it, yeah. it generally I like, is. I like, that, I, I like that explanation that you, there's something there like in your hand mm -hmm. that you can feel. Right, right. Um, but with Wendell, I mean, Wendell though, I mean, do you, you're always like with your stabilizers and always tinkering. Like, is this, does that, or, or is, it, is that part of the feedback that you're feeling and how it reacts to your front end? Uh. Can you explain that question? I'm like just a well, you said drink just you, a little too much scotch. You said you liked in the earlier. You said you liked a lot of front weight. Uh huh. I still like. I still like a lot of front weight. I like I like my bows to be weighted forward because I feel like it helps me pull the bow apart. Or that you know, it gets me on that track. Of so do you think that this apart. that that helps you with what we're talking about in this subject matter? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. I think the as far as tinkering goes, what I'm tinkering for is something else entirely. Know? Okay, entirely. Oh, when I tinker with my stabilizers, I'm trying to change the way the bow reacts from the time that I take my thumb off my thumb peg and start to execute that shot. I, I'm sure you guys all know when you make that brain switch over to all right, let's get to work or like. We talked about when your pin meets the, the target, it's kind of like a greeting. You're kind of greeting the, mm -hmm. the X. And you're like, hey, how, how you doing? You know? Yeah. Then you take your thumb off the peg, your thumb peg, and it's like, you know, I know I've met you. I'm going to murder you. <laughs> and so <laughs> I take my thumb off that, that peg, my pin float will change. And then when I start to drive, my pin float changes. I tinker with weights in the back bar to experiment with what happens to my pin float at that moment right i can achieve the transition exactly i can achieve perfect pin float but when you know just holding and aiming but when i start to execute and i start to drive things will go yeah. all all over the it's, place it's the static 
hold compared to the dynamic hold. The dynamic hold, hold exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Once things get dynamic, everything changes. So now I set my stabilizers up to accommodate that dynamic um, motion, that dynamic action that happens. So you try and cover both the static and the dynamic, or are you just... To a degree. Yeah, to a degree. I, I do like my pin float to be a certain way. I don't like it too erratic. Uh, with my Hoyt, I would run it a little more erratic, and then, like you said, give it a little extra... Right. That drive really the, focuses those Hoyts. Exactly. That drive will bring my pin float um, you know, more narrow, and uh, I could give it that, that little extra. I could go over three and a half... But not, you know, still not. Don't go six or seven or, or go crazy. But I could, I could be a little more reckless with my forward drive. With my Matthews bow, I have to be just a little more conscious of exactly what I'm doing with the front end. But yeah, I, I load up a bunch of weight on the front to get the, the float that I like, and then I use my back bar to change the way my bow acts as I'm engaging. Mm. What did you? I know you played around with weights. Just this last week, what did you notice when you changed well, your weight setup? The, I had a very specific reason in that I've been shooting a very little amount. Right, and you, so you I shoot eight on the front and ten on the back. Oh, I just mean my frequency of shooting these days uh-huh. is not very much. I do shoot eight and ten. Okay, um, and so when I got to the range, everything felt really rusty and really foreign, and I didn't feel comfortable and like my shot. So I decided to just play around with stuff and have fun, and then with the intention of going right back to square one, so that I could feel the difference and hopefully kind of get into my space a little bit better. And it actually worked. Pretty flawlessly. So you could finish out the day doing yeah, your shot. Right. So three quarters of the day I shot, I I added about five ounces to my whole setup. Was I this had, all in the front or was this? It started all in the front. Okay. Um, did you end up keeping it, that same ratio or did you end up, did it change? Well, I went for the, what I ended up with, what was working best was um, 12 in the front, 11 in the back as opposed to 10, uh, 8 and 10. Um, and it was cool. I was doing a little bit more of the Wendell, that dynamic push in the front and just playing around with stuff and seeing, uh, uh-huh. just, just trying stuff and having fun. Yeah. Where does this work for me and where yeah. does this fall apart? Yeah. And it was, I was surprised to see that it actually, you know, it wasn't super consistent, but it did really shoot. Um, but then, you know, it got to a point where I said, okay, I'll strip everything off and go back to my shot and, it really just, um, it made coming back to my shot even more kind of defined for me. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of confirmed what yeah. you already knew. Yeah, and it helped me get into my space a little bit better. Which, you know, maybe if I had just stuck with it and kept shooting, I would find my shot. But Right, but maybe you would also go on another path of exploring a new style of shooting that is not something that you've worked on Right. And really, you know, I've heard guys describe your sometimes. shooting style as a, a ballet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But sometimes I think it's a little more sometimes manly than that, uh, but sure. Sometimes it's good to just change something to see how it yeah. how you react yeah. to it and then And I had every intention yeah. that, you know, I knew a hundred percent that it was going right back to where it was, but it, it did just sort of 
that contrast sort of defined things for me. Right. I've always known you to at least give a college try to something that is outside your your realm. And then, you know, you run its course and then you come back to your your shot with this added knowledge of what's on the other side of the fence. Mm-hmm. You did this with uh, your release where you work a release style that is very unique and it's it's one of the coolest releases. Like your release hand is, is very unique and I'd say it's very similar to like Jesse Broadwater's, but it's kind of like a... Somewhat. It's got like an Emerson softness to it. So again, in the manliest way. In the so, manliest way. Thank you, thank you. So basic so I think we covered the front end pretty well. Yeah. And yeah, let's dive into and, this release. And uh the the, so the people hand. listening out there, right? We talked about how important that front end is. Um and I think we define that a little bit better and even just how weighting the bow affects that front end as well but the second part of that completes what we call the emerson monkery shot is the release and this is where um a lot of of us really have a respect for for your shot and so i think Thank this you. is a good time right to, to continue to dive with into the release hand yeah so we're gonna we're going straight to release here and again for the few people that are listening right now, they should know that the reason why, like we ask Emerson, but we all kind of weigh in because we are all a little different. And what applies to you might be an element of Emerson's shot. It might be an element of Rudy's shot. It might be none of it, but we're putting this out so that you can feel it. You could try it and, and see what sticks, what helps you. We hope it gets you thinking because... Um, and and we would even and and just for people out there like between Emerson myself and Wendell we do shoot a lot together and we do talk about these things like all the time like this conversations that we're having right now on this podcast is exactly what we would probably be talking about if we were just sitting here even if there wasn't a a podcast I mean these are things that we talk about and so we would encourage you to go out there and actually do this with other people. Yeah, put time in on the range. Yeah, learn yeah. something and then discuss it with. If you, if you, you know, in your within your your club and your community, get some guys together and, and talk about these topics and how it affects you, because you may you may just learn something from somebody else. So, but anyways, uh, let's get back to Emerson's release hand because this is really good stuff. All right. What we've around the club we call or around our inner circle we call it the phantom hand. Right. <laughs> I'll also call it the soft hand, the relaxed yeah. hand shot. Is what I call it because phantom hand sounds like you know you sit on your hand until it goes numb. But go on, <laughs> please for, for other purposes. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I I don't have quite as much of a relaxed hand as someone like Jesse Broadwater, uh-huh. um, or even well, I don't know. But what I do is, you know, I focus on flattening out the hand. Um, through relaxing. Through relaxing. And these are the bones behind your knuckles. Above yes. your wrist. Yes. So so there's a, a bit of a... There's like a 90 degree angle from this... Is this the first knuckle? 
Uh, we might, it's the we knuckle might, above we might your... just have to take a picture of your hand and, and like put it on the, put it on the web. On well, the... Every, everyone knows what a, a basic release hand looks like. Mm-hmm. I, I flatten out my hand. Eh, well, it's the knuckle you know. above the one that you punch people with. There you right? go. And, <laughs> and, uh, I've heard you describe this as hanging from a door. If you hang from a door, your hand is flat and you have that 90 degree bend in your fingers. Right. And, and you have to think about not only hanging, but hanging for a long period of time. You have to keep that relaxed. And, you know, as I'm, as I'm engaging in the shot, I'm not, or I'm trying not to, maybe very subtly, but I'm not curling or squeezing my fingers. I'm trying not to... Um, open up my pointer finger too much. Right. And just like command fire via right. pointing your finger. Right. Your and finger. I do use, I, I put um, rubber tubing on my release so that that, that forefinger doesn't slip. Right. This is surgical tubing. Right. For people that want to do this, shoot yeah. like Emerson. Well, it's funny you mentioned the, the relaxing the index finger. Because um, I have seen a video of Jesse Broadwater in a shoot-off, and, like, in slow motion, you can literally see his front finger just, like, slowly just moving opening. to the target. And right. it's, it's pretty trippy. Right. So I, w- without, my, without the tubing, what happens is um, years ago, I would, I would be shooting well, and then all of a sudden I would notice that that front finger is slipping to get the release to fire and then boom, I've got target panic and it's, I can be shooting really, really good before then. Um, but as soon as I notice that it just absolutely screws with my head. Um, so I, I am releasing, relaxing that pointer finger. I'm sure that there's a slight opening of it, but I don't want to. I don't want to feel any slip in it, because that's something that can be variable with different conditions of, you know, sweat or what have you. So you're, uh, so you, so with your hand position, you're keeping like the 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 knuckles in the back of your hand flat. Yep. You're maintaining your fingers at a ninety degree. Yeah. Angle. So you're bending from the second knuckle from. From from your from your hand, yeah, and you're just maintaining that ninety degrees with, but you're relaxing the back of your hand. Right. Well, I'm trying to relax everything except for the minimum amount required to keep that ninety degree finger, you know, engagement claw, yeah, onto claw. onto that onto that release, and so I, when I'm teaching this, what happens is people when I sort of start getting through to them how much you're relaxing your hand, they'll start opening up their fingers because that's relaxing their hand. But you cannot open your fingers and have your release go off. It needs to be, it needs to be somewhat stationary as far as your fingers go. It's the rest of your hand and your forearm and your back shoulder that it's relaxing. It's funny because that's how like a lot of recurve shooters are achieving the same thing with the hook uh-huh. with their fingers. Interesting. They're maintaining a deep hook with their index fingers, and when they release, they're just relaxing the muscles in the back of your hand, and the string pushes those fingers out of the way. You're not opening your hand. Uh-huh. You're just letting it sort of go. Right. 
Interesting. So, so then, but don't I, do that with a mechanical release. <laughs> or what? Or do? <laughs> see what if you want to yeah. see your release go through your boat, don't do that. Yeah, if you shoot any knock-on products, please. <laughs> any, uh, sorry, sorry. Or, or I mean, any that release, was all Wendell Souza talking there. <laughs> any any release in the bow is not good. Um, so, so I'm I'm focusing on relaxing my hand and pulling with my middle finger and my ring finger. That's kind of where my power is. You know, I'm pulling from those, but not squeezing them. I'm, I'm, that's where the power is in my shot. And that's what will get that release to, to go off for me. If I'm relaxing and pulling with those two fingers. So Emerson, I also notice when you shoot and you relax those bones in your hand, your hand is very flat. Yeah, like horizontal. This is where I draw the comparison to Jesse Broadwire, is that you have like maybe even flatter of a hand where it is not up against your face, you know, all four knuckles against your cheek. It's actually maybe one knuckle oh, against the angle of my yeah, yeah, the hand. angle of your hand is very flat. I it's not it, well, if I'm shooting long distance, it's mm-hmm. flat. I flatten it out for long distance. Would you consider long distance 60 yards? No, because I have video footage of you shooting sixty yards, and you have this. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, it is impressive. It's I mean, more it's more flat than than a lot of people for sure. But well, shooting with Emerson, when I've seen, I've seen you from directly behind, watching the relationship of your hand to your face, uh-huh. and what I've seen from Emerson, from my perspective, and you can correct me if this is what you're trying to achieve, but I've noticed that when when Emerson is struggling, his his hand is starting to flatten out. On, on some of the shorter stuff, but I've I've seen him. I've seen what I've seen is all four of these knuckles, like so on the back of the hand in here. It's almost as if you're like right on that jawline, like one's right under, like one's right above it. And 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 Look, I I can I, I would say so. I would agree I can with that. See yeah. that I can see that. And the times that I've seen you struggle, I I can start to see sky between your hand and the release. I'll give you and two it starts, knuckles. And it starts to do like this like. You know, rotation this way. Interesting. Now, I didn't see this the entire year. This is we're talking Reading three years ago that I, mm-hmm. I you know, when you were having. Well, who knows what was going on then? Well, it was it was not good, <laughs> but that's what I've seen in your head. He's like, it Fair was enough. a catastrophe. <laughs> but, but what Wendell's describing is that you have a ho- like more yeah. horizontal than most. And well, I'll tell you the exact angle it should be is the angle that your elbow moves. That should all be one plane. So as your elbow is is moving kind of back and down, that sort of 20-ish degree angle that you're moving, I want my hand to be in line with that, in that same plane. Gotcha. Yeah, because you don't want to be twisting. Right. Or you know. putting tension with, right. in your wrist. You want that to be relaxed. Right. What I notice is, um, you know, as a... You know, self-proclaimed student of yours at one time, I shot your style. And when I relax my hand, it naturally wants to flatten. When I mm-hmm. when I relax my hand and my wrist, it naturally wants to flatten out mm-hmm. and become more horizontal. The style I shoot now is much more tense in my hand. And it's right. like right up against, you know, almost at least three knuckles are against my face. Uh-huh. When I is, shoot. Your, is your pinky almost touching... 
See, I've, I've, I don't, I don't know if it's the beard or what, but I've noticed like your, your pinky knuckles almost sometimes touching your face. Yeah. It's, I have a fat face on top of it. I mean, yeah. aside from all this muscle, I have a incredibly fat face. And <laughs> that, um, you know, and yeah, my, my pinky gets close, but I have at least three knuckles on my face. Right. So, so the other, the or other, palm out, I should say, palm, my palm right, is facing right. out. The other kind of, uh, uh, what I'm trying to achieve with that also is minimizing my shoulder um, pain because if I'm shooting really, really close distance for extended periods of time where I'm scrunching up my hand and it's more palm out as far as, as opposed to palm down, um, I will start getting shoulder pain just because things are kind of a little bit out of alignment for me. So. Now, when you're first hooking the release onto the string, are you trying to maintain the angle at which it's going to get to your face? Even no, at that point? I don't think so. I don't know. Or, I'm not paying attention to that. Okay. I'm no, I'm, I'm just, you know, probably approximate, but well, cause you mentioned shoulder pain and, and, and so like, like I've I've learned for at least for myself to minimize any kind of like stress that I've paid re I've I've myself I have to consciously I've re like really rehearsed like where my hand needs to be on the string at an angle so I'm not doing this twisting motion if I start right. if I if I'm if I'm pulling the bow my, my my release hand is in the exact same angle as it is it's coming uh -huh. right to that same position that it needs to be when it touches my face and if it's twisting or moving on me then I'm I'm like just you feeling it uh, i feel it bad in in my elbow so interesting yeah i don't really pay attention to it i imagine it's pretty close to what it I, is i want to i want to video it like i want to see you shoot when you're not actually thinking about it right because i i would probably bet money that it's probably the same exact angle because i, if I you're, would guess it probably is it without, has to be without sounding like a creep i have a bunch of videos of ever shooting <laughs> Oh. Gladly forward. Would, would you please share them with yeah, me I don't later? think you can say that without sounding like a creep. I, I videotape you a lot. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> I'll save this for later. Yeah. But yeah, that was, that was, that's when, a Wendell lot means of well, guys. It's, you know, beyond, beyond that, you know, it's... You kind of have to be in person explaining it because there's so much. I think I think you explained it physically. very well, and I, at least the basic the principles of it. The small amount of coaching that I've done, I've taught your style of shooting because I believe that that is the best, like purest form to start with. And right. if you if that's what you want to continue to do, it can benefit you to continue that style of shooting. I've, I've evolved that style to be my own twisted, perverted form of that. But um, well, you that's... Have, you have a pretty different... It's different, it's but I started right. doing with what you showed me. And, you know, I, I took a, a cousin, uh, Dave Cousin's seminar. And at the time, what he showed me, it seemed so foreign and alien and just garbage that I didn't, uh, I didn't do any of it. And then over the course of competing with me and Rudy competing, going to all these shoots, being in high pressure situations over and over again, I I felt the need to do a quick change, a quick fix. And so I sped up my release and sped up my release because I was freezing in high pressure situations. Mm -hmm. And that in turn changed how much tension I put into my hand. And I put myself in that situation so much and didn't have the wherewithal to 
to regroup and calm down and relax my hand so that, you know, instead I changed my equipment and that in turn changed my style. And now I have this, I've evolved to this different, right. different way. But I started with the way that you showed me. And I think anyone who's listening that wants to apply your style stands to benefit from it because they will either evolve to their own thing and it may or may not work for them or they can, you know, try and master your style. Shooting your style is how I shot my high scores in Vegas. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. shoot those styles with the style I'm shooting now. Well, I think I think that's like this dialogue that we're having is really important because, you know, it's every person not every, not one single person is going to have the all the answers but um you can take a little bit from 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 different schools of thought as i have and and you know i've i've tried lots of different things and um a lot of what i do is very similar to emerson's um but i've experienced others and i've trained with others other types of form and what you have to figure out for yourself is is and i'm going to use um quote emerson from the last podcast is you have to find what doesn't feel terrible you have to use what doesn't feel terrible that definitely sounds like something he said oh no he said it for sure like if it doesn't feel terrible then it's good um but you know you you want to have to find something that works for for you and um you know a, a good coach or if you choose to hire somebody um you know will have different different ways of trying things and so you know part of working with another individual is is establishing a relationship with that person and and providing feedback to the coach and and if the coach only wants to show you one way then it's probably not the right coach right you know if 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 you take one lesson from your from from someone and then and then expect that that's enough or if or even if you take information from one person and you think that's enough, that that isn't. You need to provide feedback. You need to have discussion, just like we're doing right now. Right. There, there. There's many ways. Just in case there's misinterpretation. Yeah. Right. I also I really enjoy how George Riles talks about it as well. Yeah. It's definitely different from, you know, what I do, but there's plenty of elements of that in my shot, and um, I think he he explains pretty much, you know, all of his stuff really well. And, you know, there's so many, so many, as you said, so many different styles of, of doing it that right. work equally as well for other people. I yeah. always like to think of this as we're trying to approach a problem. There's a problem we're trying to solve, right? Which is how to put the arrow where we want it. And there's a million different ways to approach that problem. Right. You know, and work it out. That anyone who says there's one way and only one way to do it is truly either, you know, fooling themselves or, or you know, kind of selling a disservice. Do you remember in Vegas? Like, not to put anyone down, I won't say any names because we didn't know who it was. But we saw someone coaching a bunch of shooters oh to our God. right. And every single shot that person, that student took, that coach was like, nope, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Shoot again. They'd shoot again. Yeah. Oh, well, this was wrong, this was wrong, this was wrong. Yeah. It, it was horrendous to watch. It, it was genuinely every era they were like, oh, you didn't, you know, expand this in this way. And, and it was all focusing on wildly different stuff. Right. Like just run the It was like, almost just the throwing it out there to be like, 
you know, I'm a legit coach. Right. Right. Hey. <laughs> yeah. And to be fair, that coach had beautiful form, right? <laughs> did she not? I don't, re- I don't recall. I think she did. I don't think she hit anything, but it was great form. <laughs> it looked one. It looked glorious. Well, I mean, if I had to, if if we had to have a panel and we had to take a vote as to what I like, who, when you're learning to shoot a hinge and you had to kind of replicate um, a style of shooting the hinge, I would probably vote for Emerson's oh, stop. hook. No, I mean it, it's because it's I. And the reason is that in the in the last in the last podcast you talked about he reading so, Larry Wise so amazing. <laughs> well, you you read you've read so many different articles and and you've studied so many different shooters and you've taken you know pieces from all these different shooters, and and I think it's good. I mean, well, thank you. Let's move on. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're not. We're not. We're, we're not. We're not done we're with like, you. Coming now. back to this, I think we've covered. Well, what the, about? Uh, no, it's it's good. Exam. You know we what? Never really no, all honestly, it, it's good. And what I about think, Rudy? What about the Rudy hook? How did you hook your release? Uh, so same with the back of the hand. It's you know it's flat. Uh huh. 90, 90 degrees with the fingers. Mm-hmm. Do you however, have tension in your pinky finger and your ring finger? However. Uh, Because you have a unique claw. I'll get to that. So the way I do it is my fingers are a little bit more dynamic. They're moving around a little bit more. Right. For the listeners, he's motioning like he's holding a peach. Yeah, like I'm (laughs) like he's (laughs) squeezing some fruit. (laughs) So 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 it it ends up being in Emerson's position, Mm -hmm. but I can shoot a hinge without that thumb post. So as could I. I, when I pull back on that string, I'm As starting. Did I when I shot your style? I'm I'm right. starting with a lot of pressure on my index finger, uh-huh. and so I'm pulling almost all of it with that, and then mm. and then uh, as I as I get to full draw and I, once I achieve let off, I, st- I I start to bring the rest to that 90 degrees, and and I have my release set to um, you know the hot and cold is set to where as I come to my anchor. You know, and I start to settle. You know, before I'm actually even in in the dot, I'm I'm already at the click, almost at that click. So so I I sort of bring tension to my fingers, and once that click is there, that's my that's my cue to stop. Is that your green light to that's, switch over? To- well, it it's it's a switch for me. It's a switch. So like a lot of people say, they can't shoot a hinge or hinge with a click because it messes them up, and that. And and for me, the hinge is, is I'm using that click very differently, probably than most. You know, I'm I'm not I haven't started aiming and executing or executing when that click has gone off. The click is to me is just that I'm there, click, I'm ready to go, and and now it, I'm ready to continue. Rudy, for you, is the click the indicator that you can stop engaging your fingers? Yes, gotcha. So basically, it ends up to Emerson's position where it's like the 90 degrees. With the, and you know the fingers are about nine degrees, all all the pressure on on the release is just in my in enough to hold the the release from flying out of my hand, just like that. Mm-hmm. But but it's I think it's how I get to there is very different than Emerson's. Mm-hmm. And then and then and then from there, if I am if I've loaded properly and I've done what I was supposed to do, like we talked about earlier in the front end and setting up, then and and then and I have that. Just real strong back end. That re- it's it is. 
a smooth shot. You know, you said something that I want to just do like a brief mention is that you shoot with a click. Yes. And Emerson, you also shoot with a click. I do. At what point in your process does that click engage? Um, kind of as I am settling into my anchor. So as you come to anchor. Or it could be a little bit before or it could be a little bit after. But it's really just, you know, it's I definitely have not started engaging in my shot. And if anyone is shooting a click that you cannot start your shot engagement and then have it click. Right. It's no. I don't think anyone in the world could shoot that. No. If and if that's happening then you need to fix that. Yeah. It's 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 an it's an anchor point. That's it, all it, it is. is. It, just, it is it tells uh, you where you are. Gotcha. If if I'm drawing back and it clicks way early then I know that I know how to adjust for that or I start the shot over. That's very informative. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be more, even more specific. I'm not if it clicks on me and I'm aiming, then I've committed sin. Like, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, yeah. I, I, I need to do some Hail Marys because I, I, that is. That's a big no, no. Right? Oh, I, it's, it's done. And, and at that point, if, if it clicks and I'm on the dot, then I'm probably going out the bottom. Like See, everything's I can out be, of control. I can be in the dot, but, but I cannot have started my execution. Yes. Yeah. See, I, I kind of starts after. See, for me, like I kind of build a little bit before I'm in the dot, so mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, like. Do you greet? Do you do the you, greeting? You you said you like to do that little hello, hello, I'm meeting, I'm greeting the dot. Oh, yeah, that's right. an Emerson thing that for, I, I for me. Let's not put this on me. This for, is an Emerson no, thing. No, that's what you said. You that, said that's that from Oregon. That was Big E, man. He was like the meeting, the, the greeting. <laughs> you greet the dot. Did you not? I did. Okay. Boom. Okay. Well, <laughs> right. anyways, put that shit on me. It's but. <laughs> it's not. It's it's uh for me. I'm kind of like I'm sneaking up on you, right? And like I'm ready to go. Like I know exactly where you're gonna be. It's I'm getting building, real creepy. I'm building up energy, right? When it comes so, to his anchor, he's watching you in the you shower. Know, you don't even know he's there, but the I'm, window's open. I'm you didn't clicked. put the shit. You didn't put the shower curtain Stuff's all the way closed, down. right? He sees no. the shampoo you're using. He likes it, and that shit's <laughs> going off, right? Right when you get real lathery. Yeah, it's nothing like the. Crocodile Hunter, or what Wendell's talking about. <laughs> do but you, do you hear a click? Did you? Do you hear a click? Oh man! If you hear a click, you're done for. Oh man! Are you talking about the person in the shower? And I'll serve. And I'll Before we get to the shower, and I hear a click, I'm yeah. freaking out. Yeah. Before we completely derail, I know that Rudy's uh, behind. I, that we should all say that it, all it, of us shoot hinges. We're all hinge shooters, for the most part. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah, Emerson and myself are true ball guys. Rudy's a stand guy. I shoot no click because I figure you know white tap dance when you can tango. I also ride a bike with no helmet. I don't wear a seatbelt either. Okay, that's kind of just my jam. That's the way. Well, I roll. okay, so don't use a refrigerator. <laughs> you know, you just eat it all right there or throw it away. Okay, so okay, now that <laughs> Wendell has done this like crazy rant here, I'm sorry. I just very right. passionate about the hinge. Well, the, the the click, yeah. I mean, to finish what uh, when uh, Emerson has asked is is I've, I'm building up a little bit of energy. I'm I'm clicked before I'm I'm aiming. You know, yeah. before I'm in the dot. Um, sometimes it will click as I'm coming into the dot, and that's okay. Um, usually, about the time that I'm in the dot, I float for like probably about three seconds, and then it, that, that shot's going off. Right. I, I don't spend a lot of time in the dot. I don't. It it, it can't. I, I can't do it. So. But um, 
it's funny that you mentioned that Trueball release because um, anybody, different releases have a, a different amount of like... I believe they call it sweep. Yeah, there's... A, well, the the head, you know, there's different like... You know, oh, head angle as well. Well, the, the size of the click. Like some clicks are more aggressive and some are a little mm-hmm. bit more more weaker. And right. so like I recently been playing around with the fulcrum that I had laying around in the shop. And um, I noticed that when... Um, on, on that particular release, the click was a lot more aggressive. And, and what I saw is I actually saw my peep jump. Right. There's a thunk, right? When yeah. it clicks, thunk, and, it, and you and can see your peep that, move. that peep. And this is where, like for me, when I say that the click is death, is that anybody who's already actively aiming and starting to engage, and then it clicks on them, that adds movement to, to, your, to your scope housing. Right. And it and it it's like you you're aiming twice and it's like you're you're gonna have to regroup you're, after you're, that clock yeah, happens and so so yeah I think I think that is very like I think that happens a lot with new releases I think if you shoot your release like a billion times that thunk gets smaller and more subtle would you yeah would you agree I know when I've used your releases the the click is just like a little tap on the shoulder you know right. or you know. Yeah, the stand the stand is a little bit softer, and that's why I like that one. Yeah, um, but I have I have I I will say though that I do. Recently, I've been playing around with that fulcrum, and I'm really liking it. I feel the need to mention Mark Rubio at least once a podcast, and he told me to switch to a fast click for my HTs, and I, I switched. I ended up going to the fast click, and the fast click is the firing point after the click. But I also felt that the click itself was softer. Than mm. a stock brand new Interesting. sear. See, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like a fast click myself because I don't. I want to feel really comfortable that I can click into my release, be totally relaxed in my hand, and just hang out there. Right. And know that as soon as they start to engage, it's yeah. it's going to well, go off. Where but, your click is is when you're coming to anchor or around that point. Yeah. Right. So there's a lot that you know you're gonna greet the target, you're gonna greet the X, and then you know start your uh process at the time that mark told me about this it was kind of like greet the target and then get your release hand in position to get the click and then start the Mm -hmm. it's kind of like a reverse you know chain of events that led to that right um but you know i did like it again i don't run a click at all now so Mm -hmm. so for you it's just like you're just constantly just i greet the target i say hello and then it's you know, it's by time. Yeah, I'm going to murder that thing. Well, this has all been really good. We were like at a little over an hour now. So uh, I think it's probably a good a stopping point. narrow scope this week. It's right. like front end. Do you think we could, you could well, extend it a little bit and just talk about indoor bow setup? Yeah, I guess we, yeah, we could do that. And we'll make this a little bit longer. Um, when Emerson here just said that it was very uh, specific, but... Honestly, front end, back end. I mean, yeah, it's that simple, guys. Yeah. And that's the game. That, that is, is the game. It's if you can simplify your shot process and not have a million steps, you are going to do much better. And, and don't get it wrong; like your equipment is important, but yeah. it's not the. I'm gonna the very fine things like the direction of your fletchings doesn't necessarily 
is not as crucial as what we're talking about. The stuff we're talking about will well, net you in, in the beginning. In Are the you beginning. serious? You don't think left helical versus right helical is important? No, I don't. <laughs> oh, that's, my that's, God. A, that's a topic for another day. Actually. I'm only hunting with left helical veins. That's, mind a, you. that's a topic for another day. But right. But if you're if you're a beginner, if you're brand new shooting, then yes, you need to probably have a few more steps to learn some of the. Right, more simplistic things, but if you go to a, a good shop, and front they, end, they will set you up so that you can concentrate on the things we're talking about. If you go to archery only, they will set you up so all you have to do is concentrate on the things that we're or or Rudy shop, uh, Pacific Archery, right, Rudy? You, you need to wait for you to chime you should, in. You should find someone that you trust in your area. Yes, mm-hmm. and and uh, to be real, you know, it, feel feel them out. Or do you do you feel that the person behind the counter has a passion for what they're doing, or do you feel like they're just trying to sell your product? Right. And so, and that's what you need to find is someone that is truly passionate about what it is that they're doing. Um, someone that find is, is the a, good shooters at your club. Yeah. So and, it, and give them a candy bar and ask them a question. All right. So transitioning from. Outdoor to indoor. Outdoor to indoor. One of our listeners wanted us to talk about that a little bit. It's going to happen in and about so a month to maybe a month and a half. We're going to all make this migration to mm-hmm. to indoor shooting. And the bows, some people set their bows up specifically for indoor. Um, Emerson, do you have a, a specific set of things you do when you make this migration to um, indoor? Well, I believe I talked a little bit about reticle last week. About how I used to run a bat dot for indoors, I now just run my outdoor setup for reticle. Do you adjust your knock point? I'm sorry to interrupt. I do not adjust my knock point. I I have a, a spot hog swap, so I swap on a different uh, different rest. I go to a wide blade because um, I normally shoot the the extra narrow the freak show blade. Um, so I go to a wide blade, um, you know, I retune it just using the the actual rest itself. You don't adjust your peep to 20? I adjust my peep. Okay, so that means you would set your sight for 20 and then adjust your peep to be mm-hmm. as framed and comfortable as... Yes, yes, okay. because right now my 20 yard... Well, it actually used... It, when I swap over with the different arrows and everything, it ends up being around mid thirties or something like that okay. is where my peep is or where the site is set. So it's not a massive adjustment. No, it's not a massive adjustment, but I, I bump the peep a little bit and I put on a new rest and that's about it. Off to the races. Do you, you actually know what that measurement is? Do you? No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. I, I do things by feel. And do you think for this season you will run the same weight I, don't, I hate to see the ratio, but you use the same weight setup that you have on your bars. I'm going to start with that. It depends on how much free time I'm finding myself with. If if I'm shooting a lot, I will I will play around with stuff. But I have a comfortable setup right now. I would I would bet that um, I would bet that I play around with stuff a little bit for indoors, but I don't know. Do you think Do you think that what because you shot the, you switched from the Prevail to the TRX um, right before the indoor, 
maybe indoor season had already started in, when you bought the TRX, right? I spent most of my indoor season with the TRX. Yeah. And so is there anything from from the last season that you're going to do differently when... Well, last season, my draw length was wrong. So I struggled with indoor. And then when I went to outdoor, I put on a new set of strings and um, a lot of issues just resolved themselves just because it ended up being a little bit longer set up. Not much, but um, so, you know, I, other than that, I don't know. Yeah, okay. Can you describe uh, what kind of arrow build you run for indoor? For indoor, I run 28-inch arrow, um, the gold tip triple X. Um, I run 200 grains out front and uh, four-inch feathers, which um, I might try out veins. I don't know. Right, I've I've heard some benefits to veins is they're they're stiff, they don't flatten out. Yeah, I find with the with the Matthews, it's hard to get the cables out of the way enough for my comfort level with um with, with veins. veins. You'd have to use a local. You know what I'm actually kind of curious to try this season is um, the AAE's been coming. It's coming out with that trad vein. Oh yeah, that could you know, be interesting. and apparently, like the the this a new softer, yeah, the new trad vein is supposed is supposed to be soft enough to for like a rigger shooter to shoot off the shelf, and so if if it's good enough to be shot off the shelf, then I think yeah. maybe for indoor that might be a good vein to play with because, um, especially with some of the you know the bad thing about feathers with traveling is they get flattened yeah. out and yeah, so but if you could have kind of the best of both worlds, that might be worth trying. Yeah. Yeah, feathers can be kind of a pain, you know, they get, they, you know, the, the feather that, that if you're getting contact with your, with your cable, the feather that ends up contacting over and over and over again, gets flattened down a little bit. It's kind of like a fin rot. Yeah. Like a fish fin rot thing. Yeah. So, and, you know, it's, it's kind of, it can be kind of a pain, but you know, it's not. Kind it's of, not horribly bad. I, I kind of no. realized that um, we, when we we sort of started talking about in the transition from outdoor to indoor, some some of the people listening may not actually know what that means. And re- really, what it means is um, the the indoor season is um, most here in the West Coast. Most of us are preparing to shoot um, for Vegas. So, um, and and that's really what we do mm-hmm. for the next. Uh, from basically October to uh, February when the the World Archery Festival happens in Vegas. So um, right. we right. have... We prepare for that and then maybe... We have a couple of shoots that we do for indoor competition. We have um, our state uh, indoor shoot. 450. Uh, it's a 450 round um, shooting is, at a Vegas face. And yeah. then we have uh, the Bay Area Open. Um, that's a tournament that, that, I, that I put together... Um, in Pacific, in uh, Daly City there at Pacific Archery, um, and then um, down in in Clovis, Impact Archery usually has a shoot, and then uh, Wilderness up in Sacramento usually has one as well. So we have about a good you know three to four events to prepare well, for Vegas. Let's not forget SAC Indoor Nationals, which is right after Vegas. 
Yeah, I've never shot that. Yeah, so then there's also um, World Archery has indoor season as well. Um, so for for that particular type of event, when we're talking about arrows, um, the largest arrow diameter size that they're allowed to shoot is a 23 diameter. Most of us are shooting 27. But after Vegas, um, you're going to find that most, most guys here in the West Coast, um, because of our weather being so good, we're already shooting our outdoor bows by the week after Vegas. So yeah, we're not, you know, we don't have another two months of indoors. So um, I like to roll indoor just a little longer. Well, that yeah. prospect of shooting 23s against some pros is a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a lot, it's a lot of fun. But, um, last year so, we did so Emerson, I did have a question about your, your transition. Um, do you, do you put a lot of thought into the setup or do you kind of, like you mentioned the peep height, which was a, a big thing. I think that's really important to do. Mm-hmm. Um, what about um, do, with the arrows? Do you do you think about what arrow you're going to shoot or you just kind of run what you had from the previous year? Do you buy new arrows and try to tinker and, 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 and uh, come at it or do you, are you pretty happy with what you have? Um, right now I'm pretty happy with what I have, but... You know, I came to these arrows with the Hoyt. You know, I, I, two years ago, I got some gold tips. I tried out a handful of different setups with different point weight and length. Um, you know, I didn't go crazy, but I tried out some different stuff and, you know, found what worked the best. It was, you know, there was a couple others that, we're almost just as good, but um, I just felt comfortable with it, and so I just continued to roll with it. If I were a smart man, I would probably revisit that. I'm probably going to just build the same arrows that I have, and if I find that they don't feel forgiving, then I'll revisit it. But um, Do you spend a lot of time paper tuning and... With for indoor. indoor less so you know i i want to get uh, you know i'll do an initial tune i want to get i want to get uh at least close to a bullet hole um do you bear shaft tune with your indoor arrows yeah i do but just for reference or to, to get them hitting close i i prefer them hitting close um i don't need them to be right on top of each other because they are 27s uh, with a Hoyt, I wouldn't even attempt it. Um, but with the Matthews, you can actually, you know, it's one really nice thing about the Matthews is I can actually get 27s to tune, which I never have with the Hoyt. Right, the which, top hat. You know, it doesn't really matter. It's 20 yards. But, right. Um, so you, so you, um, you, 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 impl- you really, uh, with your last year in that bow, you messed around with the top hat system a lot. Yeah, I did. You know, I not a lot because it doesn't take a lot. You just you find know, out what it needs. Find and out, yeah. You give it a little bump and you're right on the money. Good to go. Nice. Yeah, I found that to be really awesome. Also, yeah. so were you getting a? Were you getting a? When you're saying you're tuning, were you getting a tear? Like, um, is it right tear, left tear, low tear, high tear? I don't recall what it was, but I think you had a slight left tear because I right. had a massive left tear, and we both. Kind of top headed over to the left. I think you just a little bit. Right. I top headed all the way and right. cleared. It pretty much that was like about the end of 
like heavy tuning for us. Right. After that, it was mainly like weight, uh, yeah. finding a good weight ratio that worked yeah. out or ratio, <laughs> finding out a, a, the right weight combination that worked yeah. out for us. Yeah. I think that that's the bigger, because indoors you just get it tuned in a general, like good. It doesn't need to be great. Just, and then learn how to shoot good. And then the rest of the tuning is, you know, it, it's subjective tuning versus objective tuning. So you want to get your objective tune, i.e., you know, through paper or bear shaft or whatever you want to do. You know, you get your tune good, and then the rest is subjective tuning, meaning your weights, how it holds, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. Rudy, um, what do you shoot arrow-wise for indoor? Um, I shoot, I've shot a, a lot of different arrows. I've shot the, the 27-12s. Um, I've shot the 2315s. I've shot um, the... Um, and these are aluminum? Aluminum shafts, yeah. Um, you shot fat boys as well. I've shot... Uh, no, I didn't really... Myself, personally, I didn't really oh, no? care for the fat boys, no. Um, I did get purchase a set of... Uh, X23s last season and only shot three of them but um, the, the arrows that shot the best for me were the full bores ah oh, that's fair full bores you yeah. know and, and uh, with the full bore um, they actually had two different arrow spine sizes they had the the, the 250s and the 350s and so what, what diameter shaft is that those are, those are a 27 okay. diameter um, carbon arrow um, and so I was able to get those to um, perform well for me. Um, How, what length? Uh, actually, the I cut them uh, about twenty eight inches, um, and point, point, uh, point weight. I was running two hundred grains on there. Very similar to Emerson said. Yeah, yeah it was pretty pretty similar. But I think I think this year um, I'm probably gonna play around. With, I'm gonna revisit um, the X twenty sevens. Um, that's, that's what I used to shoot as well. I used to shoot 30 inch aluminum eclipses with yeah. uh, 250 in the front. The only thing I struggle with and don't really like about the those heavy arrows is like, you know, I, a part of me likes to kind of see that arrow come out a little bit faster. And I know it doesn't matter. You're only shooting 20 yards, and if you make a good shot, the arrow's going to be there. Depends who you but, talk to. But for, for me, like just psychologically, like, I shoot, we shoot 80% of our year outdoors. Or yeah. maybe, I'm going to say move more, 60% maybe. It's a better ratio. We, we spend more time shooting outdoors than we do indoors. And so with my X10s or any carbon arrow that I'm shooting, you know, you're used to the bow feeling a certain way and, and having a certain amount of speed, mm-hmm. you know, coming from the arrow. And, and, it, and, and I, I like that feeling, just how it resonates through, through my body. And so... When, with the indoor setup and shooting those aluminum ones, it, it just sounds like, it just feels like a big old thud, boom. Yeah. And so it's it's uh, difficult for me to get into a good rhythm of shooting that way. So having that faster arrow. The feedback is different. Yeah, the feedback is just, well, it just. I, I think the faster arrow for me is more forgiving. Yeah. And, and maybe there's other elements that is what's actually making it forgiving, but. And then. I know that all sounded like super creepy, like just. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it actually it, makes it, a lot of sense. It, it just sounded it sounded like like uh, 
like it was totally based on feeling, but you know what? I mean, that's, it's important. And like, it, there's a certain, uh, speed and, and feeling that I've become accustomed to and I, and I like it and anything different from that. I try to, I, I try not to deviate from that. So, so I've, I've really liked the carbon arrows. So I might try the super drive 27s too. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to play around a lot with different arrows. Mm-hmm. So maybe, I, I mean, I think we're probably going to have to do a lot more podcasts on indoor because, um, I mean, it's a few months away, but I've I mean, shot, I've shot a lot of different arrows, Yeah, uh, Wendell, especially for indoor. You, when, you have taken, when I was single, I spent all my dating money. No, he's on, shot everything. Yeah. More than just Easton's Rudy. <laughs> he shot, he shot victory. He shot. I, I shot really tips, good with victory. He shot Easton's. You know what's crazy though? When I think back to it. So I have two. You never tried Carbon Express tanks though. No, they're very, they look heavy and, you know, me being such a light draw, weight, mini-armed T-Rex point, why, don't you just do, why don't you just do aluminum? I did. So this but last I'm just saying, as a, if you're going to do the tanks. If you're going to go heavy, you're right? Go heavy, why, why not, not just go aluminum? Well, yeah. no, I'm knows? just saying that's the only arrow uh, he has. There tried. might be something to uh, it. Uh, yeah. I, I, I tried it. I did Absolutely. think about trying tanks. Like, uh, one of our friends said he would, he would hook me up with some tanks this year, so I might try them. But, um... I have two, uh, the way I see the indoor arrow is I have two builds that have worked out for me. One was the carbon arrow, which is ironically a 28 inch, there's a black eagle 350, um, 350 spine. It's a 27, it's the PS, or it's not PS, it's the Magnum. Magnum, The black eagle Magnum that Jim gave me at 28 inches uh, with 220 grains up front. And that's not far off from 200. It's mm-hmm. almost the exact same arrow build that you guys shot. That I shot my highest scores with that. Uh, this last year, I shot a Jesse Broadwater clone arrow, which is 31 and an eighth with a 225 point. And it, it, it was an aluminum 2712. It was an Eclipse arrow, but it's 2712. And that was like probably one of the most forgiving arrows I've ever come across. With that being said, I did not put down the scores that I put down the year before with that arrow. Yeah, but that doesn't always dictate what... No, there's a lot of things that were different. Yeah. I was shooting it was a, 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 different a crazy bow. It was yeah, a different bow altogether, too. Well, it wasn't the bow that were It was the... I was shooting in the championship class, and I was, like, about ready to throw up in between shots. <laughs> I was so nervous. Well, no, but I mean, the, the way that the arrow reacts to that bow, I mean, it, it wasn't... You're right. It's not the... I wasn't it's blaming the bow. crisp and clean. I wasn't blaming the bow. I was saying... <laughs> right. It's right. A, there's a different a lot of, arrow and a different bow. There's a lot of different things that came into play uh, this year. But I found that those like those are two very different uh, arrow builds. You know, one's like longer and a little bit heavier, and the other was like shorter, faster. And both of those setups were amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think I think for new people, I'm not going to tell you exactly. We're not going to tell you exactly what to do. But from the sounds of it, a 28 inch carbon arrow with 200 grain points. With any vein you want, that's big or feather, yeah. will at least be a good starting a yeah. good starting base for you to experiment and try things out. Would yeah, you? So. Would you guys all agree? There's all sorts of yeah arrow builds that work indoors, but I think you know I see similar a lot of similar builds to that that work out really well. I also see a ton of people running the aluminums and shooting really well with them. So I mean that's, that's a that's a tried and true. Formula the twenty seven at like you know the twenty seven twelve twenty seven twelves in aluminum thirty inches plus with you know 200, 250 grain points right um, also works for a lot of people I it doesn't work as well for me but 
I think Jacob Marlowe, I mean, not to, uh, it's stupid to reference, like, just very specific people, but he shot a 30-inch arrow with a 200-gram point, and I found that worked good for me, even though I have an entirely different draw length. Mm -hmm. I, I had good luck with those for, like, a weekend until it went to my head, and then I just fell right. apart and moved to a different arrow, you know, so. Well, um, I think this has all been really good information, and... Uh Think we're gonna call it there's definitely a lot more to talk about yeah thanks emerson it, for it comes to coming out for another one yeah thanks for having yeah, me yeah thank you um and uh so um anybody if you guys have any questions or want to contact us uh you can do that on facebook at rudecast archery or you can email us at rudecast archery at gmail.com and have a good night guys thank you peace out Bye. conclude this evening's entertainment.